0: Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week, we continue our 10-week journey called The Red Sea Rules based on the book by Robert J. Morgan, where we will be looking at 10 different rules that we can apply in our lives. In this book, we find that even in the midst of seemingly impossible situations, God can make a way that will move us from fear to faith. In week two, Pastor Eric unpacks the second big rule, be more concerned with God's glory than your relief. We're on this journey called Red Sea Rules, and I'm really excited about this because it's going to take us through the entire summer. So if you come back next week, we're going to be talking about Red Sea Rules. If you come back in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, Red Sea rules all summer long. And what we're trying to do is pretty simple. We want to look at an amazing story in scripture that displays God's creativity and his power. And our God is a very creative God. He really is. He's also a very powerful God. And so in this story that we're going to investigate, you really see these two things come together. And in the process of walking through this story and talking about the different people involved and their feelings and what they were experiencing and how God delivered them, as we walk through all of that, we're going to pull out some different Red Sea rules that provide just a lot of hope for life. So here's what I want to challenge you and encourage you to do. I want you to write these rules down, all right, as we talk about them write them down, hang on to every single program and save them at your house so that you can go back and you can look at these different rules. I would encourage you to memorize them, draw them, paint them, create them, do whatever you need to do. And here's why. Because something is going to happen in your life. There's going to be something that sneaks in and you're not going to have the time to prepare for that. You're going to be unaware of when it arrives in your life. And you will want at least one, if not two or three of these rules to stand on for a lot of hope. So that's why I want you to write them down, memorize them, create with them so that they really stick in your head because I think they really will provide some hope for you. And so what we're doing is we're simply looking at this amazing story and say, God, please teach us, teach us something, show me something about myself that I need to change or adjust Or whatever circumstance I'm walking through right now, whether life is squeezing me or whether I even feel pretty good about where I'm at right now. God, use these rules to really just help me know what you want and give me that kind of hope. So we're going to jump into the story. Some context here. Israel as a nation, the Jewish people were God's special chosen people. And for 400 years, as we investigate this particular story, they have been in slavery to the Egyptian empire. For 400 years. They basically have been thrown into intense slave labor. 400 years. It's kind of a long time, don't you think? I mean, our country hasn't even been around that long, and yet for 400 years, this is really all that they've known. So generation after generation after generation has come and gone, and pretty much all that they know is slavery. That's about it. Yet one of the very unique things about the Jewish culture is the power of a story. And it's how they would remind themselves of what God had done in the past, and they would just share story after story after story. I think it's fair to say that as families, we all have stories that we tell, and when we get together, there's probably one or two stories that everybody knows and everybody can share. You know, it's the time when crazy Uncle Joe did this or said this, and everybody kind of remembers that, and we laugh. Every family has a few stories. For my family, it was the day that my younger brother Joshua got clocked in the head with a baseball bat. No kidding. So we were at a softball game watching my dad play and all of the younger kids got together and we started playing our little game of softball and we were having a great time and my younger brother Joshua apparently got a little too close to the next Dominic Brown and he got clocked right in the head with a bat and he got cut above his eye and he started to bleed and people were screaming and yelling and there was chaos. It was really something. And every time our family gets together, we're like, hey, Joshua, remember the day that you got clocked in the head with a bat? And how's that working out for you? And you still feel okay? And this is the story that our family kind of rehearses. By the way, my brother Joshua is fine, and baseball happens to be his favorite sport. Imagine that. Families have stories, though, don't we? And as I'm sharing mine, you probably have a few that are popping up in your head that every time you get together, everybody knows the story and everybody can talk about it. Families have stories. Cities have stories. States have stories. Nations have stories. Stories of success and failure and everything in between. Well, the nation of Israel would keep their history alive through the telling of stories. Stories of events. Stories of family and stories about God that they would pass on verbally from generation to generation. But here's the thing. For 400 years, there's no new stories. I mean, it's just the same old thing. Slavery. And nothing new has happened. There's been no new stories to share of history or God working in their life as a nation. No new stories. So when they got together, it was, hey, what were you doing 10 years ago? Slavery. All right, how about 20 years ago? Yeah, still slavery. How about 30 years ago? Slavery. Well, are you about ready to retire then? No, the Egyptians aren't big on retirement. We're just going to be in slavery for a really, really long time. And this is what they talked about because all they knew was slavery. But behind the scenes, God was working. And God hadn't forgotten about his people and the oppression that they were under. And in his own unique way, God led his people out of Egypt. Millions of people started their own freedom walk. Now, can you just imagine what that walk must have been like? I mean, again... For generations, this is all that they know, slavery, and now they get the chance to walk out as free people. Imagine the smiles and the laughter and the tears and just millions of people on their journey, on their very first walk to freedom. It had to be amazing. It had to be. Well, the Egyptians soon realized what was happening here and they looked at each other and said, we have this amazing empire and we're building things that nobody has ever built before, but we're not actually building them. Our slaves were building them and they just walked out on us. And I don't want to do this work. Do you want to do this work? No, I'm not doing that work. All right, fine. We need to go get our slaves again. And so Pharaoh begins to assemble the greatest army in the world and he chases the Israelites and they now find themselves trapped between the sea and a group of very powerful soldiers. Now, here's what we're going to discover today. And that is be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. And we're going to see that kind of unfold in this story. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. That's our big rule today. Not an easy rule. Because here's what I've discovered I want when life begins to squeeze me. I want relief. Like 100% of the time. I never want to stay under that pressure. I always want out. But perhaps God wants us to think in a different kind of way when we become squeezed with life. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Okay, let's watch this in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 1. Here's what it says. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. He was the leader. He was the one who was going to take his people on this journey to freedom. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by pi ha between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. So this is the whole God means for you to be where you are. And that was the first rule from last week. God wants you to be where you are. And we don't always like that. And that's not always convenient. And that's not always easy. But this is exactly where God wanted his people. Because he wanted them to know that he was still active and living and working behind the scenes And so here's why God intended for them to be in that exact spot. Verse 3. Then Pharaoh will think. So Pharaoh's kind of an interesting character. He's basically the king of Egypt. And the word Pharaoh means the great house. So Pharaoh's kind of an important figure here. He's the great house. He's the big guy. He's the king of Egypt. He is the most powerful person in the world At this time. And so God wanted his people exactly where they were so that Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory. There's the word be more concerned for god's glory than for your relief and so god is saying here to moses i want you to turn back and pharaoh's going to think that you guys are all messed up and you're slaves and you don't know where you're going because you've never been in the wilderness before but i'm going to do all of this to display my glory through pharaoh and his whole army after this the egyptians will know i mean without a doubt here it's going to be obvious to them They are going to know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. I think as the people left Egypt, Pharaoh was keeping his eye on them, knowing that they had lost their entire labor force. And he had to think this was kind of a funny thing, right? These slaves who don't know anything, and they've never been anywhere but Egypt. They're now in the wilderness, and they're starting to circle back a bit. This is kind of comical. It's time for me to just get my army together. Let's go get them, and let's bring them back. And so they start that process, and again, the Israelites find themselves between the sea and a group of very ornery and nasty soldiers. So you can assume that they begin asking some questions at that point. Like, how did we get into this mess? And how quickly can we find a solution for this, if there even is a solution? And why did this have to happen to us? How did we get into this mess? How quickly can we find a solution, if there even is one? And why did this have to happen to us? Those questions sound familiar? I think the same questions I ask myself when these kinds of things happen to me and life gets a little tough. Why did this have to happen to me? Right? I think you asked that question too. And how quickly can I find a solution to this? Because it is all on me and I'm the one who's got to figure it out. So how quickly can I do that if there even is a solution? And why is this going on right now in my life? Fair questions. Great questions. But maybe they're the wrong questions. And we think about what is happening to us in life. Maybe they're the wrong questions. They're fair, they're good, but maybe they're wrong. And so what I'd like to do is just to share three thinking points here that fall under our big rule, which is let's be way more concerned for God's glory than for our relief. Again, we like relief 100% of the time, but maybe that's not what God wants for us. So here are three thinking points that are going to help us get and wrap our mind around being more concerned for God's glory than for our relief. First of all, view your problem as an opportunity for God to do something special. Think about it this way. If God wants me here, (laughs) this is really where God wants me, and I'm not happy about that and I don't like that, then God's going to have to do something special. So God, here is your chance Here is your opportunity, and then we've got to get out of the way and actually let God have the chance, because what I've discovered is we get very impatient with the process, and we begin initiating things because we want fast action, and so we start doing stuff, and often it's the wrong stuff. And so if this is an opportunity for God to do something special, then I have to give him that opportunity. I kind of have to step back and say, okay, God, I'm out of options here. And I don't like this. I'm not enjoying this. Here's your chance. Do something special. I want to see this. I've had the chance to talk with so many of you on different occasions about your pain and your discomfort and your aggravations and confusion and hurts And anger. And often when we have those kinds of discussions, it centers around this. Why is God doing this to me? Right? Why is God doing this to me? I'm confused. I'm hurt. I don't get it. Again, I want out from underneath this pressure. What is God doing and why is He doing this to me? That's normally what we center on when we have these kinds of conversations. And normally what I like to do in that situation when we meet. And if we've had the chance to do that, you know I work this way. I love to give next steps. And takeaways is my favorite. And read this and try this. I love doing that, but I am learning more and more to just kind of step back and say, I don't know. I don't know. And that's kind of hard for me because I'm supposed to know things and I'm supposed to have answers. But sometimes there is no answer other than it's just an opportunity for God to do something special. And some of you have seen that happen. Like your something special has arrived and there have been tears of joy. It's funny, I got an email this week from somebody else who said, hey, you know that thing that we've been talking about and you've prayed with me about? Well, it finally happened and I got it. I'm really, really happy about that. And I have been thanking God. All I needed to do was take myself out of the driver's seat and kind of step back and say, God, you do something special here because I'm out of options. And so we got to correspond and I was really, really encouraged with what is happening in their life and how they are seeing there's something special happen. For many of you, though, here's the reality. That something special has not arrived yet. It just hasn't arrived. And as you look at what is in front of you, it appears like that is going to be a really long time. I don't necessarily like saying this, but sign up for the journey. Sign up for the journey because God will be with you Think about the Israelites, 400 years of no new stories, but yet God was working behind the scenes. So sign up for the journey and know whatever that looks like, God will be with you every step of the way. It's not an easy thing, but be prepared for that. I can remember almost six years ago now, as a family, I really sensed God was doing something different in my life, and I was working at a church in Illinois as a pastor, and just really sense it was time for me to take that lead role. And I didn't know what that would look like or where that would take me, but we just kind of opened ourselves up to that. And so we started a process, and I interviewed with the church in Illinois, and they said, no. And then I interviewed with the church in Indiana, and they said, no. And I interviewed with the church in Michigan, and said they said, no. I got really desperate. I actually interviewed with the church in Australia, and they said no, with a different kind of accent, but they said no, and I discovered when you find yourselves uh, yourself in that kind of situation, it becomes very, very easy all of a sudden to start thinking about only me, and I don't think God really wants us to do that, and I started that process, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Is it my hair? Is it the glasses? Is it my breath? You know, what's going on here? But in the waiting, guess what God opened up? He opened up this. And to have missed this, are you kidding? No offense to Illinois or Michigan or Indiana or Australia, but this is something special. And so, once in a while, we just have to view our problem as an opportunity for God to do something special. And I think he'll work. He'll do it. How long? I don't know. I don't know. Thinking point number two. And that is God doesn't waste pain. I think that's kind of a harsh statement, and so I just want to read a paragraph of Scripture. It's a story, really, where we see Jesus in action, and he asks and presents something very unique to us that speaks to this. So here's John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind, uh, who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Like, this is a serious question, isn't it? Like Whose fault is it that this guy is blind? This is very, very powerful. So I don't want you to miss this because it speaks to making sure that we give more reverence to God instead of always seeking our own relief. Verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus did something interesting. He spit on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. See, God doesn't waste pain. It's about giving him reverence. And at some point in this process and in this journey, when we find ourselves cornered by the sea and a group of soldiers, we have to get in that lane. And often when we find ourselves there, that's when God does his best work because he doesn't waste pain. Thinking point number three, in his own way, in his own time, for his own reverence. And I think instead of asking, how can I get out of this mess? We got to ask, how can I give God more and more reverence in the process, in the journey of this? So again, it's not always about getting relief. How can I give more reverence to God? So for that challenge that you're facing right now, Relationships, sickness, a failure. In his own way, in his own time, for his own reverence. For that habit, for that fear, for that secret. In his own way, in his own time, for his own reverence valley point for that new building that you're pursuing and everything that's involved in that in his own way in his own time for his own reverence and ultimately that's what the red sea that we experience in life is all about finding ways to give him more glory instead of always chasing our relief so here's our one takeaway for today You'll find throughout this journey that our big rule and our takeaway are going to be the same. And again, that is be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Easy? No. It's very hard. Very hard. I've been asking myself this question recently. Why does God leave us as his people destined for glory in this very inglorious world? Why doesn't God change that? Why does God leave us here? And I believe he leaves us here so that as we walk through these kinds of experiences in life, we can give God more and more reverence and thus give people a picture of what God is like. So how can you give more glory? How can you give more uh, reverence to God in your Red Sea experience? Let's chase that. Let's pursue that. Father, we come to you and we're grateful for some time to look at this incredible story that displays your creativity and your power. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see you do something amazing as you provide for your people. But God, I think for us the reality is we often experience the kinds of things that just squeeze us and aggravate us and cause us to want out from whatever we're under. And God, maybe that's not what you want for us. It happens sometimes, but not all of the time. So God, as we just continue to think and move through our responding to you, God, would you help us right now to be more concerned for your glory than for our relief. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.